1: And welcome to Kurt's Angle podcast. It's Kate Johansson. And today, got a very special guest joining me, All Japan Wrestling's Joel Redmond. Joel, thank you for joining.
2: No problem, it's I'm
1: really excited about this. I think for people that have gone from the UK and gone all over the world, and you're kind of at the top of that list. So, really excited to talk about your career, how you got into it, and yeah, to where you are now. So, just to dive straight in. Why wrestling? Like, what made you think, you know what, I want to be slammed on my back for the entire of my life? Yeah, good
2: question. I've asked myself that on a daily <laughs> basis. Um, I grew up on a farm in Devon, and it's a very isolated farm, so there's nothing around really. I think it's about a 40-minute walk to get the bus yeah. to the nearest town, and a uh, 40-minute drive to the supermarket or something. So there wasn't anything around, so we didn't have much TV, didn't have Sky or anything, my parents didn't have a TV for a while when I was growing up, so I never watched wrestling as a kid, uh, I just played rugby, did a lot of judo when I was growing up, and okay. the judo club I was going to a lot of their sort of judo fighters were going into mixed martial arts, so I sort of tried it briefly there, but I didn't, I'm, I'm not a violent person, I really couldn't get into it at all, and I was doing a bit of acting for like a rural Shakespeare company when I was a kid as well, oh, yeah. and the judo and the acting kind of... Went together, I guess, into wrestling. Uh, and a couple of my mates were wrestling in their, on their hay bales in a barn in a, a nearby farm. So I went and did some backyarding when I was 14, 15. <laughs> and went into wrestling, started when I was about 16, I guess.
1: So what was your first introduction to wrestling then? Like, if you didn't really watch it as a kid, when was the first time you watched wrestling and thought, yeah, I can, I'll do it.
2: Uh, I think actually quite lucky, really. One of my mates, when I was... Yeah, 13, 14, was going to watch wrestling in Exeter in the Corn Exchange, uh, which would have been the Wrestling Alliance, Scott Conway's company. And he just dragged me along to that as a teenager. I'd never really even seen wrestling before. I'd done judo. <laughs> so I knew about grappling, but I didn't know about professional wrestling. My first introduction was watching, I think, well, I know James Mason was there, because I remember hugging James Mason as a sort of overweight <laughs> 13-year-old boy. Um, Chad Collier was on the show. I had a signed picture of Chad Collier, in my, my drawer. So I mean... For me, I think it was a good way of starting because I kind of watched that British style uh, and that style that I really emulate now, I guess, rather than, you know, the wrong American wrestling, but I didn't, it wasn't the first thing I saw. The first thing I saw was James Mason and Chad Collier, who were phenomenal technical wrestlers. And that's what I enjoyed and that's what I liked. So seeing yeah. it was my first introduction to wrestling.
1: And what an introduction to British wrestling as well, seeing James Mason. Um, yeah. One of the best that's ever done it over here. What was your first introduction to like the American style, like WWE sort of wrestling then?
2: Well, once I'd seen it on a live show, I started watching Sunday Night Heat on Channel 4, and then I'd watch Heat, and then I'd drive. So Chris Andrews is another wrestler from the Southwest, he's retired now, but we started out our wrestling careers together. And he lives the farm over from me. So as a kid, I'd walk over there on a Sunday, and we'd stay up till midnight or whatever and watch the pay-per-views. And then we went to the same school, so we go to school the next day on a Monday. He, uh, and Robert Sam, we both wrestled. the three of us sort of started wrestling together. Um, I used to go to their house and watch WWE on their Scott on their Sky TV. But I'd watch Heat on a Sunday.
1: So from doing like the backyard stuff on Haybells to then changing it up to being on the canvas, what was it like when you actually went to like your first training session?
2: Uh, I went to the FWA Academy for a weekend camp once we found out about schools, really. Uh, I didn't find it too difficult. I've done the judo background, so I knew how to break my fall, um, yeah. I knew how to control people's way and how to use leverage and stuff. So I could sort of take to that pretty quickly. There wasn't a wrestling school in Exeter uh, or in Devon when I started. And there was sort of these rumours about a school opening up. And the guy who was going to run it and open it up just bailed last minute. So when I was, I think I was 15, I got in touch with the company that was going to start the school. And then I sort of, Controlled it at the school, really. Like, bring down Andy Simmons or Sammy Ray, Phil Powers, and they'd come down and teach us. And then we'd all chip in money and pay the coaches the, the wage and the fuel. And we'd pay for this, like, sense of room for a couple of hours on Saturday. And that's where I met the UK kid who's my first trainer. Yeah.
1: That's
2: my training in Portsmouth
1: So, you've gone from training, doing the backyard stuff. What was it like being in front of that audience? You mentioned you had the acting background. So, did you find it quite easily or? Because I think doing wrestling in front of an audience, a bit more vulnerability there.
2: Yeah, my first match, uh, I think it was up the other day, it was 2005 or something, and it was in Exeter in the top gym, outside Exeter against, guy like, called Sammy Ray wearing a mask, Professor Aikida, and a match, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a great wrestler, but the match would have been absolutely horrendous, uh, I'd love to see it. <laughs>
0: it, probably
2: was filmed by somebody, but I've never seen it. Um, so that might have been a bit daunting, I guess, but... Well, that summer I went on the, the camps with Phil Powers. But I wasn't wrestling. I was just referee. Yeah. And i take the bags into the rooms and stuff and you know, do all the sort of dog's body jobs, I guess, that you should do as a young wrestler. Um, but being the referee on those camp shows, and you know how busy the camp shows can be sometimes, yeah. gets you out in front of an audience, even if you are just the referee, and you gets rid of little, well, those nerves, I think, of being in front of an audience. So then when well, I started, well, started doing, doing shows on a regular basis, I'd already yeah. been as camp
1: audiences well whilst we're on to the um story of camps like you're also wrestling for all-star at the moment what's your thoughts on like camp show wrestling and like what well, i mean especially like all-stars historic with brian dixon
2: yeah well i've been full-time of all-star since i've been back from america so i think it's five six years and another like um you know when i started wrestling I, and i've always said it to people that All-Star was like a different level from everywhere else. You had all these different companies, and you had IPWs, and all these other independents, then you had All-Star, it was just a completely different level, and the guys there were just world-class wrestlers. I used to do the odd show, me and Haskins would go and do some All-Star shows, but every time you felt so nervous going there, because you knew you weren't at their level, you know, you were a fish out of water. Um, So when I came back, just to be full-time with All-Star was a big goal of mine. Uh, It's still, it's my home company, you know, it's what I call my home company, and to me, it's still the best, you know, it's still the pinnacle, really. when Wrestling's all about reps, it's all about doing matches constantly. That's how you get good. You know, you're not just gifted to be a good wrestler. You need to keep doing this thing. It's a bit like lifting weights or something. You, it's about repetition. And the All-Star Boys, especially in the summer, we're working like 10 shows a week. You know, there's nowhere else in the country or in the world that you can do that. So you, you have to get good. And that's why Dino and James Mason and Robbie Dynamite, they're all such good wrestlers.
1: Yeah, everybody that I've spoke to that have come through the camps, they've all just sang the praises of the repetition and also Brian Dixon. Um, yeah. It's one of those where sometimes with the camps, for those of you listening, if you're not from the UK and not familiar with the camps, they're not essentially wrestling crowds. It's yeah. families that are going on holidays a lot of the time as well, if you're at the, like, the Butlins run and stuff like that. How do you feel like when you can make them react and it could be their first ever time watching wrestling period and yeah. you're getting a reaction out of them?
2: That's what I tell people at the seminars. and that, you know, I, No one's ever said it to me. I've heard that people have knocked the holiday camp circuit and think they're above the holiday camp circuit, which is just ludicrous. And it, if you can, if I go to a wrestling show where people are paying money to watch a wrestling show, and I can entertain them. That's pretty easy because they're paying to watch a wrestling show. If I can get the family that are walking through the skyline of Butlins, I don't even like wrestling. If I can make them stop and watch my match, that's a skill. That's a talent. That means you can really interact with a general audience. And, the, yeah, the wrestling sort of culture, that audience of fans is quite limited. And the big companies want you to be able to attract the general audience because that's where the money is, you know. It's trying to impress the people that aren't wrestling fans and convert them into wrestling fans.
1: But yeah, I and think I think... Yeah, and I think that's probably why a lot of people that you see be successful in, especially the TV shows of professional wrestling like WWE or other American companies, yeah. a lot of them have been from the all star shows. Yeah. Brian Danielson, for example, he gives his credit to his success as the all star shows. And I don't know why, if it's talent or if it's fans, the count well, shows get well, looked down yeah, on.
2: What I've seen a lot, to be honest with you, I- I'm not going to say any kind of names, but I've seen a lot of wrestlers come into All-Star and it's a completely different environment. You know, you've, you've gone, you're not in front of a wrestling audience, you're in front of a general crowd and they haven't been able to get themselves over with their audience. And they can get yeah. themselves over with the internet fans, fine. But their style doesn't doesn't work at All-Star and they don't get over, and they don't get booked anymore. And, you know, it's one way of looking at that, well, I'm going to get better at that style, or you just get a bit bitter and you sort of slag it off. And sometimes people resort to, knocking all the stuff, knocking the cams, because they, couldn't, <laughs> they just couldn't get over. Yeah. And, you know, to get, to get over in front of a general audience, you need to look like a wrestler, because people that aren't wrestling fans probably aren't going to stop and watch something that doesn't look like a wrestler. And if you don't like a wrestler, you need to have something extraordinary in how you work. You need to be a really good high flyer or something, something that your ring work can drag them in. And you yeah. also have a bit of being charismatic. You've got to be have a bit of charisma and a bit of presence about you, you know?
1: No, hundred percent. So, what like what advice would you give them? So, i um, I know you've done some seminars at Reach and do your own training. What what advice would you give those people that maybe have tried All Star and knocked it or might not have done All Star yet? What would you do to make them prepared?
2: I think that the wrestling business now is so. There's so many wrestlers trying to get these top spots. You really got to be, be the best, and to be the best means being versatile in every style doesn't mean just being great at sort of kicks and moonsaults. You need to be good at a well-rounded wrestler. You need to be able to do everything so that these big companies can just put you to any spot. So I think if they've been there and not been successful is to try and get back in there again, work out why they weren't successful and change it and fix it. And You know, you don't want to have any kind of faults in your game. That's yeah. the way I look at wrestling. You know, I don't want, I want to be able to do both styles and be able to work with people rather than to have my one style that I force you to do.
1: Yeah, and I recently interviewed Eddie Ryan, which everyone will be able to check out, and he sang your praises from the beginning of his career with you suggesting him to go to certain training companies and then your matches throughout the year. And he's always said, every time I face Joel, no matter what crowd it is, I know I've got to step it up because you give 200% essentially, and yeah. you're always like that. And he's, what What's giving you that mentality?
2: Well, he must have got that fifty pounds that I put in the post. So that's good. Might <laughs> that sell well. But that meant, i don't know. Everyone—they go on these podcasts and they say that I, I blow them up or that I'm hard to keep up with in the ring, or I, that's just the way I work. I, I don't know. You know, like uh, I spent those years in America. And when you're in the states, you're full-time professional athlete, and yeah, it was a point where me and Pac were the best cardio in the school. You know, when we were Tag Team Champions, they, they just couldn't blow us up. But I've maybe kept that mentality, of just needing to be be the best shape I can. And I hate yeah. being broken up in the ring. There's nothing worse than losing your breath in the ring. It just ruins the whole match. So I always think about that in my head, and I'm doing things to try and prevent that. But, you is know, there I, any... know, if people can't keep up, then I'm just working my style. <laughs> and if you can't keep up, then you know, I try and slow down to make it easier for them. But it's just the way it is, I
1: guess. No, is, is there anybody, especially later on in your career since you've had um, like that exposure in WWE, where you've got in the ring and it's like, oh, actually, this person's more than keeping up, and oh, you yeah. might be having to push yourself. Like, oh. yeah, Niwa,
2: Niwa <laughs> was, was awesome, and I worked him in uh, Evolution Wrestling in Gloucester, and I didn't know who he was, and we got in the ring, and he, he, I wasn't blown up, but I was getting, I was breathing heavy, I was close to getting blown up, and from I went straight to Brian Dixon, and when this is the guy we need to get on All Star Team, and. He's come into All-Star now and he's just won the belt off me. And, you know, they think he's absolutely fantastic. And the he, he gets in some of the venues is brilliant. And, you know, he, he will be in WWE or big company. It's just a matter of time. He's a very talented wrestler and incredibly intense, you know. Really yeah.
1: Good. So I want to kind of go back a little bit. You mentioned Mark Haskins earlier. And you, before getting to, like, WWE, especially around the um, early well mid-2000s, yourself... Mark Haskins as the thrillers. He was kind of the tag team in Britain at that point. What was that experience like working? What I think real quality wrestling, IPW, Rev Pro, being their tag team champions and running rough shot over everyone?
2: Yeah, it was really good. I mean, you watch back some of the matches now, and some of the stuff I'm doing the ring's pretty poor, but that's what happens when you're young, you know, you get better as you get older. But yeah, it was really good. It was good exposure for me. And we had some matches with uh, Zach and Marcy that. You know, got real good reviews, so that was really good for us. I'm a bigger guy than the other three of them, so, you know, for me, again, it was just trying to keep up with them and just trying to do, do those matches the way they wanted to do them. But, yeah, I mean, we're just hungry young, young kids, really, and if you look at the four of us, we've all had good careers since those matches, so, you know,
1: no, it's just quite nice
2: to, to think now, go forward into whatever it is, 10, 12 years forward, and you look at what we've had career-wise, the four of us, it's pretty cool
1: now the body of work of like the four of you is incredible and again like early on uh, i know you've been doing all japan last year during throughout 2019 which to be fair your schedule must have been crazy because you was back and forth to the uk doing your all-star stuff you was doing all japan and yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later but you experienced noah um, in 2008 what was that like for you oh it was
2: just brilliant because my parents have never not supported me, but my dad was a great rugby player, and he tore his ACL on his knee, the same injury I had in WWE. Um, and He'd like me to play rugby, I think, and I gave up playing rugby to be a wrestler. And obviously, some of the shows in England are not the bigger audiences. Yeah. and They might come and watch those, and they didn't really have a serious job. You know, I'm sort of putting all this time into this business. So, when I did know, I think I was 18 or 19, and I got them tickets to the Skydome. And they came and sat in the Sky Dome, and four or 5,000 people. So I only a match with a 20-minute draw, and it was just like for them, they realized actually, yeah, that you can make a career out of this, and it's not just messing around. This is, this is a serious business, and yeah, it was really good. And for me, you know, just, I don't know much about the match. I remember being incredibly nervous. Um, <laughs> the match didn't go as well as it could have gone, but then, you know, I was a teenager and probably out of my depth, but, you know, I thank Doug Williams for sort of putting me in that position and giving me the opportunity. And, yeah, I mean, Kabashi was on the show Mazawa was on the show I wrestled Marafuji the next night in and varied in Leisure Tents places but incredible experience and if it wasn't for that match in Noah with Aoki I would never would be in all Japan it's only because of that match that Aoki put me forward um, 10 years later or 12 years oh, wow. later and I got a message in my junk folder to say what I do Champions Carnival 2019 and the rest of it was history really
1: That's incredible like, what What was, um, I know you said you don't mention much with Aoki, but again, marufuji he's one of the who's who of professional wrestling as well. And there you are, what, I think only three years in um, your career at that point, and you're getting such high-profile matches.
2: Yeah, it just makes you nervous. But you want to be good, you've got to wrestle people that are better than you. That's the way the world is, really. You know, if you wrestle people that are the same as you or you are better than, you know they're going to improve, so... Yeah, being thrown in the deep ends, you know, you, you're out of your depth, but you soon learn you, you sink or swim. When I started wrestling for Premier Promotions, which would have been around that same time, I mean, the matches that John Fremantle gave me there was like Mouse Under Steve Gray, and then it was Danny Collins, and then it was Johnny Kids, uh, Robbie sides, you know, yeah, it went like this, and I lost every match 2 0. It was a round matches. <laughs> But eventually, I think I did a draw with Phil Powers, like a one-all draw, and the place erupted because I'd lost every match, but there were yeah. legends, and then I managed to scrape the draw. And I think I beat Doug at the Christmas shows, who won incredible reaction. But in those in those situations, I was way out of my depth. But yeah, made me a better wrestler to be out of my depth.
1: Well, fast forward, say 15, 14, 15 years, or something like that. You faced Johnny Kidd again last year at Ev- Evolution. What was that yeah. like? Like. The guy's in his 60s and still still going. Like, what was that experience like, stepping in all these years later? I mean,
2: I've, I've been lucky enough to know John you know, relatively well with my career, and he's just an idol of mine. You know, I really idolise these British wrestlers. They're the guys that I study. Uh, and John was doing a seminar in the daytime, and me and Key and Kelly the Fox sort of went along just to, to take part in the seminar, and then we yeah. kind of had us demonstrate stuff before the boys did it, and then... I was working in the gym next door, so between the seminar and the show, I took him over to the gym and got him in the spa and had a hot tub and the showers and the scene room and then bought him his dinner. And... But there's these little things that I think maybe young wrestlers now don't do for these older boys. They forget about stuff like that, but it goes a long way. You know, if you can take him and pay for his dinner, it's not very much money, but it just shows some respect to these older wrestlers. Yeah. And then wrestling him that night, it's just kind of switched. Before, you know, John would have been in control completely and he kind of just puts it in my hands, I think, and he was like, oh, whatever you want to do for a finish and whatever you want to do for the high spots. We don't, me and John don't plan anything in the back, really. It's just go out there and wrestle, but he kind of let me say control and that was pretty cool.
1: Do you prefer that style of wrestling where you're not plan it out too much and you may go out there and call it in the ring, or do you prefer...
2: 100%. My favourite wrestler from America when I was a kid was, was Benoit. You know, I just thought Benoit was unbelievable it, he made it look real to me. Yeah. Same with Guerrero and Dean Malenko and these kind of guys, and they're just the guys that I really watched as a kid. And When I went to WWE, I asked, I think it was Joey Mercury, how did they put their matches together, people like Benoit, and he just said they called a lot in the ring. You know, There were guys that didn't want to speak much in the back. They had a couple of high spots, but most of it was just off the cuff in the ring, because um, that's kind of what I've done now since. And It's the way a lot of you know, James, James Mason worked like that. A lot of those top guys worked the same way. And it just allows you to be able to listen to your audience because you can plan an amazing match, but if the crowd don't want to see that style of wrestling, you're just wasting your time. It's only going to get worse. So being able to read an audience and work out what they want to see and adapt, cater for the audience, that's that's a sort of skill in itself, really.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. So you mentioned Mercury when you was in NXT. So I want to kind of talk about that. Like, what was... What was the feelings like when you first going over? It was then Florida Championship Wrestling. And what was that whole experience like moving to Florida? And who was it that was giving you the, like, the best advice whilst in developmental?
2: So I knew Bram from England. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, but when I knew Bram, he was very clean cut, clean shaven. <laughs> you know, curly hair like I've got now, but quick on the side. And then I turned up in Florida. So I'd just been speaking to him to find out where he lived, which sort of complex. So I moved into the same complex, and I knocked on his door when I got there. He opens the door with a big beard, and he's got his chewing tobacco in, and his skin's like leather. And i what the fuck has happened to you in the space <laughs> of a year? And he said, like, give it a year, and you'll be the same. And in a year's time, I was the same. I had long, greasy hair, and tan, and the chewing tobacco. So it must be the stress <laughs> of that place. But he looks after me, him and Connor, so the Ascension, it was his tag team partner, and they yeah. just took over their wings, really, and they massively looked after me, and, I had some matches early on there in FCW. Um, I was working Rusev, I think. And I was trying to do some British stuff, that's what I do, and he didn't want to have any of it, but they came over sort of as the veterans went, no, he's doing this and he's doing this, and allowed me to get my stuff in and get myself over. So it really helped having them, because they were sort of leaders in the locker room, those boys. They kind of really looked after me.
1: Well, I think the way they looked, nobody was going to say anything different to them, were they?
2: Yeah, (laughs) I (laughs) know.
1: So... It transitions to NXT. What was that like for you? Because it they're two completely different animals. Uh, FCW and NXT, especially in terms of the production. Did you adapt well to the TV style of wrestling?
2: No, it took me a while. But they used to film TV in FCW in the Tampa Arena. Yeah. So they could have taught you how to work with cameras, uh, and when I just when I got there, FCW is like a, a warehouse and no air conditioning and it's a sweat box, which I probably prefer to be honest. It makes you work hard. And then NXT is this big $4 million training facility. this season. It's a complete contrast in in schools, but uh, the trainers were the same. And the slow transitions, they used to sort of move to the performance centre and then come back to FCW, back to Tampa, to film TV for FCW TV, and then back to the performance centre. So there's a lot of driving to start with. And, yeah, yeah. just kind of get used to it that way.
1: So how did you unpack, like, become a thing then?
2: We just ran together Bram got released from his contracts uh, so the Ascension tag team kind of got disbanded for a bit before Victor moved in so they were missing a team for the tournament um, you know Pac's one in the league of his own so they just needed someone I think to partner with Pac
1: and yeah.
2: team or do something with him so they just sort of put us together last minute and threw us in a sort of makeshift team
1: had you worked with Pac before that?
2: we uh, tagged in a triple threat match not a triple threat Six man tag match yeah. that would have been one of my very first shows for FTBA Academy, uh two thousand and seven maybe. So we'd actually tag them. Um, yeah. I haven't really seen much of him since then because he'd been in Dragon Gate and you know he was never really in England much.
1: So how did you how did you find uh the team in Will Park? Did you click quite well? And all of a sudden you're this tag team that's been thrown together, and then you make history becoming the first NXT tag team champions. Was that always the plan or is it just because you guys were impressing as a team together?
2: Yeah, we well, yeah, firstly, we got along really well. You know, like, we both... I think, you know, in Florida, because you, you're young and you're on your own in a different country, the, the sort of European guys kind of stick together, I guess, yeah. especially the British guys you kind of form a real good bond. So, yeah, we got along really well, you know, and we'd go and hang out at each other's places and play FIFA and, you know, it's just, just like normal 20-year-old boys do. And then... Uh, So yeah, teaming together was great. I don't know who was meant to win the tournament, I've got no idea. Um, Maybe the Wyatt family were meant to win it, I I don't know, but it just ended up being that we won the tournament. But it was a big surprise, you know. We didn't think we'd get past the first round. We beat beat 3MB in the first round. That was like, well, that's pretty cool to get a win on TV. but we'll be out next round. And then we beat Hero (laughs) and uh, Leo Kruger. And then yeah, the final, I think they played a bit of a rib on us and Jerry Mercury said to us, like, oh, you guys have done really well to get this far, but obviously you're not going to be winning the White family or win the tournament. And then, as we're walking away, he just said, like, somebody joking, you are going over, and we'll have to pack over with the, with the Red Arrow.
1: What was, that reaction? what was your reaction like with that then?
2: Well, we planned, like, a celebration in the ring before the TV, just yeah. to get the camera angles, so they have you sort of plan it. It's really hard to get the sort of emotion that you're going to show when you win, because you're still thinking about the match later in the night. And then when we do win, it's completely not what we planned. Like, I think our upper tackle <laughs> to the floor, and we're like rolling around on the floor together. It's not what they wanted, but it was real. You know, so yeah. it's a real reaction, which is quite
1: cool. Like, you mentioned earlier with the um, ACL injury. So that's how you and Pac essentially ended with you tearing your ACL. What was that like? You're in a different country, you've only been there for a little bit, and you get such a such an injury.
2: Oh, it was awful, and you know, we were literally a couple of weeks away from getting called up, you know, they, they rang us and said, we're bringing you up to the TV, and what size tracks who are you, and stuff, and I was going to go to WrestleMania that year in New York, and then about two weeks before WrestleMania, I'm wrestling Bray Wyatt on a house show, and just blew my knee out, tore my ACL, and um, I tried to pretend I was okay, so I got backstage, and they're prodding it around, and I'm saying, yeah, I'm fine, and I drove my car back home, and everything, and then training the next day, just stomped my foot down, just flipped over the meniscus inside my knee. And then I was having a, I was having lunch with Joker Bray somewhere in Tampa. Yeah, Tampa would have been. And they just, they rang me and said, what are you doing? So I'm eating, eating my lunch. We'll step outside for a minute. And They said, right, you're going to be out for at least nine months. and You know, the, the idea of bringing you up is going to be scraps. and Basically okay. starting again from scratch. So, yeah, it was really rough. But
1: How's the knee really now?
2: Longer. Yeah, my knee's fine now. I hurt my other knee in Japan last year, um, last November or something. Yeah. But it's fine now. It seems to be okay.
1: Yeah. So, when you come back from injury, obviously, you're not teaming with Pac now. Um, and it didn't seem as if there was going to be like a direction for you. Like, what was being said backstage? Like, what was your conversations like?
2: Uh, there was a direction. i come back on TV and I, I went over um, Marcus Louis on the French boys and I beat yeah. him quickly. And then they didn't air that, that episode of NXT. It didn't get aired for some reason. So, it was just like, yeah, you know, this is just bad luck really and yeah. Yeah, just from there went downhill. I don't know, I don't know why. I'm in my early twenties and living in America and getting paid decent money and I can't wrestle or anything, so you end up sort of you know, living a bit of the lifestyle and yeah, I don't know. I just probably made a few bad mistakes there and hopefully I haven't burnt any bridges, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. yeah
1: so have you had any contact with them since? Obviously. NXT UK is a thing now, and have, have they spoke to you about that?
2: I wrestled T-Bone for Evolution Wrestling before the lockdown, and yeah. he was sort of uh, putting me over a bit afterwards, and he, I think he spoke to Regal and said something, and he, Regal then said to get in contact with him and, and see what they say, so I emailed William Regal just just when the lockdown started, really, and he just said told me to get back in touch as soon as he hears that they're starting up again, and uh, we'll go from there, so... Hopefully there's something coming, but it might just be a tryout or something. But we'll see. You know, if it yeah. is a tryout, I feel my conditioning is good and I feel in good shape, so I'm sure I can hold my own. And is it, you know, like you said, with the first ever NXT Tag Champs there's a bit of a backstory there too. So who knows? It's up to them. The ball's in their court.
1: Yeah, and um, so what do you think to NXT UK? Like, I, I want to put this story, like this question to you because you see all the skeptics, and probably a lot of it's the same people that. Shit all over All Star and things like that. Of Ress is dead just because NXT UK came in signed a bunch of guys. What's your thoughts on that sentiment? And what's your thoughts on NXT UK being um, a thing now?
2: I think the only time you could say British wrestling may have died is when they lost the ITV deal in the eighties, you know I don't think it's dead like that. Maybe that affected the business, but Brian kept running a show and it came back again. So of course it's not dead. You know, it's only going to come back again. It just goes up and down. Every wrestling business has up ups and downs, and there's still so much talent out there. It's not signed contracts, you know. Yeah, um, not it's not in any way a good thing. But me and uh, Eddie Ryan had a match in, in getting I Gloucester, and it was uh, on the show with like Joe Coffey and uh, a few other lads that had sort of like, a World of Sport contracts at the time or WWE contracts. And me and uh, Eddie Ryan were just a little bit pissed off that we didn't have anything, didn't have any kind of contracts, or any kind of deals. We went out in the first match and just worked our bollocks off. And uh, I knew they were going to be watching. I I knew they watched my match and I wanted to show them all that we're as good as you guys are and we deserve to be in the same place. But this job's so political and it's got so many different sort of loops you've got to jump through to get anywhere that sometimes you can feel frustrated. But you never want to be jealous or say bad bad things about people. You just want to work hard and earn your spot.
1: Yeah. So... Going back from when you um, got released, I think 2014, you started doing a little, a uh, few things. You did TNA British Boot Bootcamp, um, yeah. you started up with All-Star, you was working Rev Pro. Um, what was bootcamp like?
2: Yeah, it was good fun. Um, I, I don't know how far I was meant to go, but someone came and asked me after the first day, would you be interested in moving back out in America again? And I just said, no, I've got no interest in going back to the States and my son was born, when I moved to America, so yeah. I kind not quite just be back with him at the time. And yeah, I just had no interest, and the next day I was cut from the, the programs. Whether that was
1: probably pretty, the reason, it,
2: it may not have been. You know, it, could just be, it wasn't good enough, but uh, who knows? Like, it definitely didn't help the fact that I didn't want to go and live in America again.
1: Yeah, is is that changed, or so if WWE did come in and was like, look, we'd want you for NXT, not NXT UK, would you? Look at going back to Florida or
2: Yeah, so I'm engaged, you know, so it depends on my fiance, really, if if, yeah. if she wanted to go and live in America, then maybe we would. But yeah, I don't know. I've been selfish enough in my career when I was younger to doing what I wanted to do. You now you gotta think about other people and other people's lives and yeah, you know what's best for both of you really.
1: Yeah. So going to Rev Pro, um obviously. <clears throat> It's, it's never nice to be losing a job or released from a contract. And that same year, you work in Rev Pro and you're in the ring with arguably one of the best in the world in Okada. What was that like? Did, did that make you think like, I'm, I'm still essentially still the man.
2: I didn't study any Japanese wrestling really. So I didn't know who he was. And
1: okay.
2: uh, I think, Andy Quilden, the show before Andy Quilden said to me, I was about to leave think, before the end of the show and he went on, oh, no, I need to stay and see this video because this guy, we're about to introduce is who you're going to wrestle on the next show and I said Andy, unless it's Kurt Angle you know, I really, because I knew there was a lot of Japanese guys coming over and I didn't yeah. know much and his name came up, I didn't know who he was and then I watched him his matches and he's, he's an incredible wrestler, yeah, like you know, he's one of the best in the world so being able to go in there with him and wrestle with him was a big experience and It didn't get great reviews from the online fans, but it got really good reviews from the boys in the back, and it's always nice to get appreciated by your peers. And a lot of the boys that wrestle, or you know, the referees, have seen it, and they've always said to me they really enjoyed it and thought it was a good match. So,
1: yeah, and that's where you kinda took over like the tag team division. You yourself and Martin Stone, yourself and Haskins, and then Charlie Garrett as well. Um, What was it like being? like the cornerstone of Rev Pro's tag division then?
2: Well, they're all partners that you know I know well. Me and Martin spent all those years in America together, so we've we done all that stuff together. Me and Haskins started wrestling together, really. Yeah. We lived in a flat together for years in Portsmouth. And then Charlie's kind of, you know, he's one of my best mates and someone that I wouldn't say I took under my wing. He was trained by T-Bone, but when he started with All-Star, Brian sort of said, look after this guy, so we've travelled... To all these different shows together and and you know I've tried to sort of teach him whilst he's been wrestling so it's easy tagging with them uh, and then yeah, I mean I, don't, I guess it's good to be a top tag team in Rev Pro at the time, that was good he had some good matches and had the chance to work with some good people
1: How come you've not been in Rev Pro recently then?
2: I haven't got a, I haven't got a clue, you need to ask the, the book Ask
1: Andy Ask Andy,
2: yeah, ask, ask Andy. I've, I, I don't have a clue you know, me and Charlie worked hard there, and I wouldn't have a reason why. The only thing I could think of is that we, were, we weren't getting over with that audience. But I don't think we were ever going to get over with that audience. And we had said to him many times about turning us villain and he just didn't didn't like it. But yeah. not to be with villains in front of that audience, you know, I just think we would see that style better. We're sort of muscular boys that look like yeah, look like ex WWE wrestlers. We don't look like <laughs> a windy wrestler, and I think that could get under people under people's skin. And we could be good villains there, but. He didn't want to
1: know about it. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Why? Why do you think that is? Like, if you're a, if you're a muscular, like, body guy, that instantly the crowd may be kind of like resentful for you. Or I don't know. I mean,
2: there's different types of people, different demographics, and maybe we're just a different demographic to the audience. You know, maybe certain other wrestlers are actually have more similarities to the audience, so they can react to them or get behind them easier. You know I Me and yeah. Charlie, we don't have that same connection with the audience. That makes any sense, yeah. You know, that's what I would see it as being
1: so. Going further southwest, obviously, um, from your area, reach became a thing a couple of years ago. Uh, Jason King and Grayson Reeves they want a PWA close, they're wanting to set up their own promotion. And you've been the guy from the inception, really. you first ever champion there. What was your thoughts on? Reach opening and having a new company in like Plymouth in the Devon area?
2: Uh, I wasn't on the first couple of shows. I felt a bit left out to be honest. I didn't (laughs) kind of like to get on the shows because a lot of my mates are on them and I was sort of stuck, not on the bill. So it was nice to be brought in eventually. And I was a bit skeptical to start with, you know, not knocking Jason and Grayson because I like them both as people, but they've not had a massive amount of experience in the business. So you're a little bit skeptical whether it's going to actually work, but it has worked really well and their shows are good fun to do. and they're sort of bringing it back to life in the southwest of it,
1: which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and again, we mentioned him earlier with Eddie Ryan. That's who he first came in against in a time limit draw. And then you end up becoming champion. And it's kind of gone in the full circle. So what's your thoughts on that with somebody that you're close with, but also the storytelling side of professional wrestling?
2: Yeah, it was, it was decent booking, I guess. I don't know. I'm terrible with that kind of stuff. But I just do what they tell me <laughs> when I turn up on the day and, try and put on a good match for him and tell a story in the ring. But, you know, I've known Eddie Ryan for a long time. I met him in Devon when he first started He was backyarding, I think. And I, I told him to get out of there and go to a real school, I think, when he was a kid. So I've known him a long time. So it was good to wrestle him, but it is nice to freshen up a bit now and get some new opposition, because every show I've done there has been against Eddie Ryan, which is, is good. But <laughs> I, I want to wrestle some different people now. And I'd like to work some of the academy guys. I've kind of put that forward to, to Jason and Matt and said, yeah. Stick me in there with Joey Seven in the singles or those sort of lads and let's let's give them a bit of a test and see what they can do.
1: Yeah. Other than Joey Seven, is, is there anybody else that's kind of um, stood out for you from the Reach Academy? Uh, well, the Reach Academy. I think that's something Reach have done really well in um people like Danny Steele or Kyle Parker onto the main shows or the girls like LA, Taylor and Aurora.
2: Not really. I mean... Only because Joey Seven's more forwards in the change rooms. So he'll come yeah. to speak to you and introduce himself. And, you know, I'm not being a dick in any way. But when I go, there's a lot of people that are my mates that I haven't seen for a long time. Like dick Riley, Zeddy Ryans, Big Grizz, PJ. These boys that I want to speak to, or Josh or someone. So it's not my job to go up to Carl Parker and speak to him and, and talk to him. Yeah, you know, I need to do that. And I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything, but I've been wrestling 15 years and around the world. Like, you need to come in speak to me, or at least that's my mentality. That's the old way, you know. It used yeah. to be you went to a show, you made the effort to go and speak to the older boys and you asked them for the advice and the feedback. And Joey Sevens in all I, I can think of has ever asked me for any kind of feedback or advice, you know. Yeah. And I understand that it's daunting and that you, you, a lot of them, it's not them being rude, they just feel intimidated and that, that's certainly understandable, but
1: you you're like have... a god you're like a god down there to be fair. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but you've got, to
2: get, you've got to get past that, you know? Yeah. We've all been in that situation before where you felt a little bit intimidated, but it's whether you have the bollocks to just get past that and go and ask for their help. And every wrestler down there are good guys and they're going to offer to, to help you.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned earlier with um, the Okada match and you didn't really look into Japanese wrestling. Did that change during your time working for Rev Pro? Obviously, you evolved you Japan now. Um, is that been your first real education of J- like Japanese wrestling?
2: Yeah, maybe after working Okada, I started looking at a bit of it. And obviously, they were bringing over a lot of Japanese guys. like Me and Haskins worked Tenzan and uh, Kojima and stuff in Attack. Yeah. It's all legendary people. So, I started to sort of study their stuff a bit. And there's a wrestler called Gideon from the Southwest as well, Nick Walcock. And he sort of introduced me to a lot of Japanese wrestling. And I started watching that. And then uh, All Japan. I knew some of the wrestlers before I went there, but it's kind of opened my eyes to the style. And, you know, I really enjoy working in Japan in that style.
1: What made you want to go to Japan then? Like when All Japan got in touch with you, was the any um and iron or was it, yeah, this is what I want to do?
2: No, I mean, it's decent money in All Japan. So that obviously there's good pay. But for me, it's more wrestling, especially now in my career, just like it's like a little checklist, of just ticking things off and, you know, I, I get flown out to Japan, but up in nice hotels, wrestle for a very prestigious company in all Japan, You know, and I see all of Japan, and, and when I get up in the morning, I'm one of those guys that go for a walk around the town we're in, and I look at the, the castle nearby, and I look at all these different sites, and there's not many people that have jobs that can say that, you know, that get to go to these countries and, and get this experience and get yeah. paid for it. It's, it's pretty cool, so it's just a no-brainer
1: yeah what's your thoughts on the culture then like a lot of people say when they go to japan there's such a respect out there um you're treated really well like you've just mentioned what's your thoughts on the japanese culture as opposed to the american or the british wrestling culture
2: it's just the best absolutely best i just i just get so like tired of the politics and all the bullshit you know and they don't have that really in japan or that i've seen they may do it but and a lot of times they could be slagging me off in the change rooms. I, I don't speak Japanese, so I can't tell. <laughs> you know, just get, especially in America, there's a lot of politics. You kind of get a bit sick of it after a while. So in Japan, it just seems a bit more like if you're a good wrestler, you'll get the push or you'll get seen or you'll get noticed. You know, it doesn't matter if you're mates with a booker, or, which I quite like. Yeah.
1: So going out to Japan, you're in the wrestling carnival, such a prestigious tournament. What was that like? I know you've had the experience of wrestling like sometimes twice a night with All-Star, but now you're doing it with All-Japan, and they, their styles are very different. What was that like, wrestling each night in the carnival?
2: Yeah, I knew Sam Adonis anyway from All-Star, so it was good to have yeah. a there, and then me and Joe Doran became good friends, and me and Divin James and uh, Gianni Valletta were all sort of real good mates. So it ends up being just good fun, it's almost like a holiday with your mates, you know, and you, you got, the wrestling gets in the way almost, like, it's, it's such a good laugh, and such good company out there on the bus, and I didn't find the schedule hard, because I've been with All-Star, and yeah. they might do five shows a week, or, or do ten shows a week in the summer with All-Star, like, this is easy, and you get people out there complaining about the schedule, but because I've done those holiday camps, I'm pretty used to doing that, I mean, the matches are a bit harder, and the camps yeah. is a bit harder in Japan, but. Just got to be careful in what you're doing. And the style they want me to do there is the British style, which doesn't involve a lot of big bumps. So yeah. I kind of saved a little bit. I haven't got to do anything too silly.
1: <laughs> What's the reception been from like their audience then? Have they been receptive to the British wrestling style? Yeah, it's
2: crazy. I didn't ever think it would get over like it did. I, you know, I thought I'd go to the Champions Carnival and that would be it. And before I left, they offered me two more tours for cha- after Champions Carnival. And then we did five tours last year and I would have been out in april if it wasn't for the lockdown I, and i'm sure i'll go back out again later in the year it's just taken off and you never would have expected it but i think the one of the top guys in the office there is a, a big fan of british wrestling and he likes bringing me out because it's that sort of old school style and if you look at guys like pete roberts who made a good name out there and in the 90s and he was a very good british wrestler so it's yeah. just trying to bring that style back into the all japan they like to have a contrast of people and they like heavyweights so i'm lucky that i'm just over 100 kilos, so I'm just about big enough for the heavyweights.
1: <laughs> nah, he, he glad to be seeing more Brits go out there as well. Obviously, on one of the tours just before all this happened, you've had Danny Jones going over there, you've had Lucas Steele making his debut as well and impressing out there. Is, is it good to have a bit some more Brits with you?
2: I've not seen them out there. I've never been on the same tour. Whenever I've been out there, it's been different. Um, So I've not actually been in Japan with them. I think Danny normally gets out for the junior heavyweight stuff and I go out for the heavyweight stuff. But it's yeah, it's great. We're all di- we're all different wrestlers. We're not we're not similar. You know, me and Danny Jones are a similar technical style, but yeah. I'm I'm bigger than he is and he can he can move better than me because he's a bit, a bit smaller. So I mean there's good contrast in all our styles. So it's yeah, really good.
1: And throughout this interview we've been talking a lot about like tag team wrestling and stuff, and you end up teaming with Tatsu in the Real World Tag League. What was what was that like teaming with Tatsu and um, the contrast of working tag team wrestling in Japan?
2: Yeah, we knew, knew each other from uh, Florida and stuff, and he's yeah. yeah. FCW, so and he speaks a pretty yeah, decent English. lives in lives in LA, so I mean, we, it was easy to have someone who spoke English. But he can also translate for me a lot of what the Japanese boys are saying, which is really helpful. And he, he sells a lot of good merchandise there, so I help my life no sales in the ocean. <laughs> yeah it was good to tag stuff out there I mean it's, it, to start with when I did my first few tours I just did my style and the British style and then as I've become a bit more regular Akiyama sort of took me aside and said this is how we want the psychology of Japanese wrestling to be and just to change little bits in your matches so it's, it's a bit more similar to their their view of how a match should be which is good learning for me it's a really good experience
1: yeah how have you found that adapting
2: yeah it's it's good oh me. I, mean, I feel like I can adapt to it pretty easy it's it's just just different ways of pacing a match, but it's just learning. you want to keep learning, that's how you get good. You don't want to stop learning. I mean, yeah. I had the match for the tag belts in the Corican Hall. and That was pretty cool. And I felt, I don't normally get nervous, but I felt pretty nervous going into that match because, yeah, you know, they're old belts and there's a lot of good guys that have held those belts in the past, so it was cool to fight for them.
1: Yeah. What was it like fighting in Corican Hall? Like cause that's, other than the Tokyo Dome, that's a historic venue.
2: Yeah, it's good. There's meant, there used to be a wall in the Corrigan Hall where all the boys um, writ the, the wall or something downstairs, but I think they've covered the wall up. But Johnny Storm told me about the wall for my first tour and I was sort of really eager to find the wall because I wanted to find Johnny's signature and then write something like, "Is a twat underneath and send him a picture. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't find the wall. Someone's covered it up. Just,
1: r- just write over it and just that can just be the one thing that's on there. Yeah, just sign over
2: <laughs> his name. I couldn't yeah. find the wall.
1: So, unfortunately, <laughs>
2: it's been covered up. But it's, it's a cool venue to wrestle in, yeah, yeah. It's a good atmosphere and the Champions Carnival final and stuff is normally normally full, which is a busy, busy yeah.
1: house. It's
2: pretty cool.
1: If somebody was to check out All Japan, um, obviously this All Japan TV, so I would recommend it for those of you listening. What matches of yours would you recommend them to check out? Like, what have you enjoyed whilst being out there?
2: Uh, I wrestled Namura in Osaka in the Champions Carnival and. I'm really proud of that match. I really enjoyed it. Got some good reviews online and stuff and uh, some good critic reviews. And that's a match I liked. Just ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, Suwama again, the Champions Carnival last year. Uh pinned him with a crucifix pin. Yeah, people seem to like that match as well, and the match with Yoshi Tatsu that year. Uh, some of the tags. I wrestled Kai in Osaka last November. That was a good match. they can find that. Um there's Did you face guys.
1: you faced Ishikawa and Suwama as well, didn't you?
2: Yeah, we faced them in Yoshi's hometown. It was the main event that night. That was a good good match. Wrestled Ishikawa is a couple of times in in tags. Uh, we had uh, Miyahara and Ayagi It was a good tag match as well last year. Enjoyed yeah. that. And Jake Lee and was a good tag.
1: So, going back to um, the UK, then just to wrap things up, I want to kind of like promote a bit like what the southwest is doing and things like that and you're doing your own training out there now what's it been like being a trainer you're no longer the student but you're coaching all these up-and-coming talents
2: when i was a kid i moved to portsmouth to train with mark sloan it wasn't the academy you can closed the fw academy it was called super a training it was basically it's me haskins and Wade. for gerald and mark at the end of it and then when i came back to uh to Devon, I started at the DWA or Devon Wrestling Association where I, I took together all the wrestlers in the county and we started a wrestling school and I trained them. So I trained Dick Riley and PJ and these boys and any wrestler a top figure in the South in, in Devon now. I probably trained before they became a wrestler. Um so I'm sort totally of used to being a trainer, I really enjoyed it and probably grown up a bit more now, so I probably wouldn't wouldn't beat them up like I used to, but it's a good experience. So yeah, being a trainer again would be be good fun.
1: Yeah, who in the southwest do you feel should be given more like um more credit and people should pay more attention to?
2: The UK dominator. So he's retired now, but me and Dom were the trainers. You know, to start up in the schools, so we taught yeah. the guys. So it wasn't for me and Dom, and we didn't make any money. We just paid the rent. So we it was, we hadn't got our time into it and invested our time. We didn't really need to do. We both had careers already, and you know, I was already wrestling regularly. I didn't need to teach people, I just felt like there was no schools when I started. Yeah, he had to drive to Portsmouth to learn to wrestle. I want to give these guys a better chance than I had, so I'm going to start something to help them wrestle. Um, and then when I went to America, the dominator sort of took it over and started running it himself. it's uh, so just he needs a bit more credit from those guys, maybe. I mean, you just see the stars on the shows and the guys that are top names. But it's the guys behind the scenes, you know, sometimes that create the scene. Uh, you know, they, they, a lot of the boys have problems with him, but Darren Saviour ran um, Pro Wrestling Pride in the Southwest for a long time, and they all just slay him off. But he deserves a lot more credit, because he drew, you know, crowds of a thousand people down there, and he might have had Van Damme with these imports on the shows, but he was still drawing big houses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe he might have pissed off a few people, but he certainly made a lot of fans in the Southwest, so... You should sort of thank him a little bit for that stuff. In terms of in ring talent, yeah, Dick Riley is a world class wrestler. But he's had opportunities before it's just whatever he wants to do, to take him I don't know, you know, He's got he's just had twins that have been born and you know, he's got his wife and he's got another kid and he's got a lot of priorities down there. I don't think he wouldn't want to move to Florida or anything they help in the contract. yeah. He's a great wrestler, you know, he's definitely he should be given some bigger shows, a good chance to shine. P.J. Jones, very good wrestler in the Southwest. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, those, they come to mind. I don't know about the new breed. It's sort of like the, the new Reach Academy. of some really good students there. And then you've got a couple of guys from DWA, like Max Wilson, who's a very, very good wrestler. They're there coming up. And you've got a sort of middle bracket. So you've got like me, Dick Riley, P.J., these boys. And you've got the Reach Academy guys. It's the middle group of people that learn to wrestle in the Southwest. I can't think of anyone in there that really stands out. I don't particularly, I'm not sure on that middle group. And uh, I think yeah. their attitudes are quite poor, a lot of them. You know, sort of Vinnie Clays and these guys that they haven't got a good attitude for the business. and I, I can't imagine they're going to do particularly well. I mean, I do seminars for Reach before the show sometimes. And I'll get all the Reach Academy boys in doing drills. And you'll see like Big Grizzly and uh, and Dick, Riley, and all these guys that they're meant to the main event, Helen. They'll sit at ringside and watch my seminar. You know, whether they should or not, I don't know, but they want to watch <laughs> to see if they can pick up something that I'm saying to them. You'll never see Vinnie Clay or Blake Harrison or any of these boys. They're nowhere near. They wouldn't even dare yeah. try and take any. And they would never ask anyone for advice, really. Or So to me, they're just not, I couldn't be bothered. You know, I've got no reason to bother trying to make you any better. It's up to you. You know, if you want to you be better, you need to start being around people that are better than you and taking care of this.
1: No, 100%. So, how do you feel? I want to jump back to um, the Reach bit then, because Reach have been trying to give a lot of people these opportunities. Is that encouraging for you for the growth of the wrestling scene in the Southwest?
2: Yeah, it's good, but you can't rely on other people in this business. It's a one man yeah. business, you know, it's not a team business. So, they can give you opportunities, but it's whether you take them and run with it. And, like I say to the guys down there, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass, but I'm a farm boy from Middlewood, Devon. With nothing around me, and I had a contract with WWE, and it wasn't an NXT UK contract; it was a, a proper contract. Yeah. And I lived in Florida, and, and I wrestled for All Japan Pro Wrestling. And just trying to say to them, if you want to do this, you can go and do it. It's not some impossible dream, you know. Like a lot of people think, this is nowhere ever going to go and wrestle for WWE. I've, I'm proof. You know, I'm living proof that you can do it. And I've come from Devon, and I've gone and done that stuff. So, if you want to do it, you just got to work hard, and like I said, be around people that are better than you. And, and Pester them for advice. Every wrestler has an ego, that's why they do it. That's why they strut around in their pants at the weekend.
1: So
2: <laughs> just get in their ear and ask them for advice. Ask them how they did this, why did they do this, you know, how would they do things differently? You know, yeah. can you watch my match? What do you think of this? What if I change this and put this in here? You know,
1: yeah, no, 100%. And speaking of advice, I'd reached out to um LA Taylor, who I did the started the From the Ground Up series with and she had a few questions for yourself as well um, so the first one what we had here is what, what are your thoughts on intergender wrestling?
2: I don't like intergender wrestling, I've never never been a fan of intergender wrestling, I think it's a bit disawkward and it just doesn't make any sense to me so yeah I don't,
1: okay.
2: I don't really like it, but...
1: um, we've got one here the importance of failure
2: Oh, it's like anything in life, if you do if you do things wrong that's how you get yep.
1: better, you need to go back and correct them, so it's important Okay and we've got one more here is let me try and find it just bear with me Okay she'd like to know what you think, I know you've kind of touched upon it with people going advice, paying a lot of respect, what She'd like to know what you think makes a good wrestler and also for her trying to debut for different companies, what can she do to stand out and to get over with the fans?
2: To be a good wrestler, you need to be versatile in what you're doing, to be able to work with anybody, to be able to adapt your style to wrestle anybody else, really. So it's just being versatile. And then getting out to other companies, I wouldn't know because when I started, there wasn't as many companies, there wasn't as many training schools. Now there's so many schools churning out wrestlers it's very hard but yeah i don't know just just contacting people and being persistent with with your emails and just trying to get your foot in the door
1: brilliant so i know with coronavirus there isn't as much going on you mentioned hopefully going back to japan uh is he what goals have you got left in wrestling like what's on that bucket list to joe redmond
2: well to get to nxt uk that's why i'm sort of emailing them to see what they can yeah. do so that would be the next thing really to see if I can get there but it may not happen I may have burnt bridges there I don't know we'll have to wait and see no uh, just to try and stay with All Japan really and try and keep wrestling for All Japan and see how far that can go because I've only just sort of started there really and there's a lot of, a lot of matches that are yet to happen yeah. you know meant to be a singles with Miyahara and stuff that would be pretty cool so just doing resting some of those guys in singles matches would be good
1: no, I look forward to seeing it and again thank you for coming on the show talking about your career and things like that where can people find you on social media support you through merchandise where can they find you
2: NXT Oliver Gray's Twitter just because I want to keep the blue tick and if I change it from NXT I'll probably lose it <laughs> uh, Instagram is j.redmond87 and then I have a big cartel it's joelredmondwrestling.bigcartel.com
1: so, yeah, Joel, thank you again. Um, stay safe during all this. Hopefully it won't be too long until you're know, back in the ring and hopefully the goal of NXT UK and going back towards Japan will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I
0: hope
2: so. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always use your head.